Welcome to Journeys, a podcast that shares stories from world travelers. This is episode two, Blue Pearls and Heterochromia by Natalia Green. The Florida evening is rainy as I follow my dad through the streets of Universal Studios, Orlando. Dad has been to the theme park with mom before, so he knows his way around. I let my mind wander as we walk, absentmindedly scanning the theme park storefronts as we pass. The air carries screams from nearby roller coasters and the scent of sugar from the vending carts lining the street. Amidst this backdrop of fun and fantasy, my mind, naturally, turns to my greatest concern. I'd heard the horror stories from my mom about what the intense humidity in Orlando had done to her hair, but... Even though my hair is practically a clone of my mom's, I hadn't been prepared for just how crazy it would become throughout the damp Orlando day. Despite having been blow-dried that morning, my hair is now intensely wavy and frizzy. I try to comb my fingers through it and wince, so much for looking grown-up and sophisticated on my senior trip. Even with my ruined hair, excitement courses through me. From the spires of Hogwarts in the distance to the Etzman rides, this park is every fantasy I've dreamed of brought into reality. Coming here has been a dream of mine ever since my parents went here after spring break a few years ago, toting souvenirs for my three siblings and me, and my mom with a pretty necklace that held a fascinating story. My dad duts into one of the mini shops on the little street. I break out of my daydreams and lengthen my stride to enter the store with him. I knew what this shop had, and, stepping through the door, my expectations of it seem a little high. Rather than the typical farce jewelry aesthetic in the middle of an amusement park, the picture I'd formed in my mind, it looks like a typical theme park shop, with themed stuffed animals lining the walls and overpriced t-shirts and sweatshirts hanging from rats. The only indicator that the store is the place we're looking for is the glass fronted counter displaying jewelry towards the front of the shop. My dad leads me to the counter, and I overcome my shyness to tell the sales associate, I'm here to pick a pearl. After smiling enthusiastically at me, the girl directs me to a barrel at the side of the counter. With a quick glance at my dad, I make my way to the barrel. Once there, I cautiously pick up a pair of tongs and stare into seemingly countless oysters. Oysters are so plain. You can never guess their contents at first glance. The surfaces of the shells are polished and smooth, but they're all a dull brown color. I can't imagine having to crack one open. The thought brings on a sudden fear that I'll pick a faulty one, take it to the counter for the sales clerk to pry open, and discover no pearl inside once the plain shell is forced open. Then I'll have to come back and keep skimming the barrel to find one that has what I'm looking for, making a spectacle of myself in the process. I push the morbid paranoia away and stand the mini oysters. Finally, I zero in on one near the top of the barrel. I grab it with the tongs and walk back to the counter with the oyster clenched firmly in my hand. I present my chosen oyster to the sales clerk, and she smiles enthusiastically at me as though she hasn't done this multiple times today already. In response to the girl's smile, I smile back, feeling my own enthusiasm build, and then I stand next to my dad at the counter, watching and waiting as the sales clerk proceeds to pry the oyster open. After the girl has worked at it for a minute, the oyster pops open. To my surprise, the sales clerk then exclaims, You've got a blue one! Surprised, I reply, a blue one? Leaning slightly over the glass countertop to stare down into the oyster, I see that, sure enough, boldly sparkling against the white of oyster shell is a perfectly spherical 
pearl with a blue-gray sheen. I didn't know that pearls could be blue. I thought they were always white or black. As I discovered that day, besides black and white, pearls can be pink, blue, or even have a greenish tint. In hindsight, finding about the variations a pearl can have in color shouldn't have been a shock. After all, I'm living proof of the variations that occur in humans. Months earlier, standing in the kitchen with my long-suffering aunt, my aunt replied to the disparaging remark I had just made about my eyes with, I remember when you were born and I came to see you, your mom said, look at her eyes, isn't this unique? I glanced up at Maria, sitting on the wooden kitchen chair at our island and staring at me with kind, green eyes. Suddenly angry at the world in general, for no particular reason besides the genetic oops, I averted my eyes and sneered, unique isn't exactly a word a girl wants to be described by. I stared at the smooth hardwood kitchen floor after I said it, trying to avoid my aunt's piercing green gaze and hide the fact that, silly as it may be, I was almost in tears over the subject. My eye color had been a sensitive topic for years, something that made me try not to stare too closely at pictures of myself or focus on my right iris whenever I was putting on mascara. My mom has pretty, solid green eyes, my sister has beautiful dark blue eyes, and the genetic lottery had given me a right eye that had two large, non-symmetrical splotches of brown in the iris, startlingly different against the blue-gray color of the rest of the iris. The definition for the condition is heterochromia. Another definition is a mutation. I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment when I'd learned that heterochromia was a mutation, or when I'd come to understand the negative connotations that went with the word. Aversion to the condition didn't occur when I was little. I have a clear memory of an instant at a family reunion that shows that. My cousin Avery had just been born, and I was busy cooing over the, no the novelty that was the new baby when my mom called to me from a few tables over. Tearing myself away from the baby, I skipped over to where she was talking with a dark-haired man, whom she introduced as her cousin. To my surprise, he bent down so he was on my eye level and stared into my eyes. Understanding came to me when I examined his eyes and saw two brown splotches, even larger than mine, standing out against the bright blue. Excitement coursed through me with the discovery that heterochromia ran in the family, resulting in my gasping as though Christmas had come early. The group of families surrounding us laughed at my enthusiasm, and I was suddenly very pleased about my heterochromia eyes. After a while, I went back to playing with my new baby cousin, occasionally searching the crowd to see if I could find the cousin who had singled me out. Eventually, heterochromia became less of a subject of wonder for me and more of a source of discomfort. The mutation flashed out at me in pictures or in the mirror, and I would wish that genetics had given me a different pair of eyes, a normal pair of eyes, whenever the flaw appeared. Seeing the brown spots in my iris made me think strange, wrong, unnatural. I'd always turn quickly from the mirror when I saw it, or exit off the camera app on my phone when it flashed up at me from a picture. Blue pearls are rare, the cashier tells me, as she indicates the way my pearl sheen matches part of the illuminated inside shell of the oyster. I admire the pearl, noting the way it catches the light, how it seems to be simultaneously gray and blue, and the perfect spherical shape of it. Blue is my favorite color, I think. I'm tempted for a moment to voice the thought aloud, but I keep it to myself. Instead, I simply admire the process of creating a necklace as the sales associate attaches the pearl to a bale and slips it on a delicate silver chain. As I watch, I realize that the pearl is the perfect color to complement my heterochromia eyes. For a minute, I stare at the necklace, 
and think of what the sales clerk said about blue pearls being rarer than white pearls. The blue pearl is beautiful, different, weird, and maybe just a little unique. At the thought, I smile a little. Soon, the pearl is safely stowed in a small silk pouch, and the sales associate hands it to me. Let it set for 24 hours before you wear it, the girl warns me. I smile and thank her. The trip to the store has been so much more already than just a trip to yet another theme park store for a pretty souvenir. For a moment, I can picture wearing the blue pearl for the rest of my life, remembering this moment and the subtle lessons contained in the precious stone whenever I brush my fingers across the smooth surface. With this dream of the future in mind, I walk into the cool night with my dad beside me, the bad with my unique blue pearl in hand. Months later, I hand the BYU store sales associate my student ID card and then my debit card to finish the transaction so I can go home and welcome the weekend by munching on chocolate cinnamon bears. The sales clerk and I stand in meaningless silence as my card is authorized, and then the girl tells me, I just need you to sign this receipt, putting the slip of paper and a pen on the counter in front of me. I lean over the counter to sign my name, and the blue pearl that seems inseparable from me now slips forward and dangles just above the counter for a, ma- for a moment. I dot the eye and then straighten, laying the pen down next to the receipt, smiling at the girl as I look her in the eye. The girl takes the receipt, and as I prepare to walk away, she says, That's a beautiful necklace, referring to the blue pearl on its silver chain around my neck. For a moment I stare at the girl, thinking about the pearl on its silver chain that hangs around my neck. The girl is right, the necklace is beautiful, and for so many more reasons than the price or shine of the precious stone that rests against my collarbone, I smile at the girl and say thank you. Travelers, welcome back to Journeys, the podcast about travel, discovery, and transformation. I'm your host, Anissa Call, and you just heard Heterochromia and Blue Pearls, written by the lovely Natalia Green. Our essayist, Natalia, is joining me today, and Natalia, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Anissa. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't have guessed that a journey of self-discovery could begin in a theme park, (laughs) but your story was lovely. Um, You wrote that this trip was about so much more than just a visit to a theme park or souvenir shop. And throughout the story, I feel like we really got to see your lifelong journey of self-acceptance. So I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about how you practice self-acceptance now as a result of those experiences. Well, for one thing, there was the idea that I'd always kind of struggled with this aspect of my appearance where it was like a mutation growing up. And that was the word I heard associated with heterochromia. But then when they opened this oyster and they told me that there was such a thing as a blue pearl, which was outside of the normal color spectrum for pearls, I was like, this is something beautiful and maybe unique has the potential to be beautiful. And I feel like it's really a fascinating aspect of travel that sometimes you have to leave your comfort zone and your home to be able to find self-acceptance. Because really, if you never do anything new, you're never going to learn anything new about yourself. So I feel like it's important to take journeys to gain self-acceptance. 
Yeah, leaving the comfort zone is something we've talked about on this podcast before. And I, I think it's important because it gives you the opportunity to have those perspective changes. And in your case, it was that shift that unique can be beautiful. That's mm -hmm. a wonderful thing to realize. So some people think of souvenirs sometimes as flashy touristy baubles that we waste money on or that distract from higher purposes of travel than to just be a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, a souvenir for you became a symbol and a reminder of something. What do you think is the value of souvenirs or what can it be for those who travel? I feel like a souvenir really does have the potential to hold memories of a trip. And it isn't exactly the souvenir that becomes the all-important thing you got from the trip, but it does help you to remember those memories. Like, Every time I'd touched the necklace I had, I actually lost it last, oh, like, no. a year and a half ago. It was really sad. But um, every time I touched that necklace, I would remember what I'd learned about myself while we were traveling and the acceptance I'd found. And that was just really powerful. And I feel like souvenirs have that power to carry a place and the things we learned in that place with them. Well, I'm sorry you lost the necklace. I see you're wearing a pearl necklace again today. Was that the replacement? <laughs> it was. We actually went to San Francisco last summer, and we saw the same shop on Pier 39, that boardwalk, um, and it was the same shop that had been in the theme park where you could, like, pick a pearl, and I went in hoping I'd get my blue pearl again and that there would be this miraculous experience where I kind of replaced what I'd lost, but instead I got just a white pearl with a pink sheen and they explained the significance of that to me and it was really cool too but it wasn't a perfect replacement but that's okay because I think the blue pearl kind of played out its significance and I'll always be able to think of it with the trip. Well I'm glad you were able to continue that journey <laughs> and find a new one that's wonderful. Thanks so much for being here and tune in next week to Journeys to hear more about stories of exploration and travel. <laughs>